and welcome back to the Big Fat Gay Podcast, where we are talking about the things that are weighing on our minds. My name is Don Marshall. I'm a big chubby guy living here in sunny Hollywood, and today I am a pre-Super Bowl fun boy. I am all ready for my Super Bowl party Free tomorrow. Super Bowl. Yes. It is my gayest party of the year that I go to, and I'm a, I'm a little... It, it has more a gays than most of the uh, the parties I attend during the year. So you're, you're burying the lead. Happy okay. Valentine's Day! All right. <laughs> Hi, my name is Dan Oliverio, author, public speaker, and chubby chaser. And uh, happy Valentine's Day! Happy, happy Valentine's Day! And uh, I heard there's a game with a f- ball and a and a foot, and I looked it up, and it is uh, real soon. And I just wanted to make sure it didn't interfere with my brunch plans, which are, in fact, the big game of the season. <laughs> oh, brunch! What could be gayer than Super Bowl and brunch? <laughs> <laughs> Happy Valentine's Day! I'm Kirby Kizan. I'm a super chub, and it's Valentine's Day. I'm your little floating cupid, hovering around, telling you to kiss people and smooch and stuff. And I'm also firing arrows. Uh. <laughs> no, no, not sorry. That. I don't have the harp. <laughs> well, that sounded mean. <laughs> maybe I'm belching some some love <laughs> into the air. Yeah, it just comes right out of him. Just burping, wow. Cuban. <laughs> love smells like old burgers. Yeah. I didn't know. <laughs> and hello, my name is Michael Willer. I am a chaser. And happy, I'll round it out with another happy Valentine's Day, everybody. Um, at this current moment, as far as the epi- launch of this episode, I will have flown back to Seattle for an emergency work project. So I will be spending Valentine's Day not with my partner, mm. which is, uh, I guess, okay, because Valentine's Day hasn't really been that much of a thing. But we'll get to that later. <laughs> <laughs> uh, little, I guess, Patreon corner. Uh, thank you again to our Patreon subscribers, our non-Patreon subscribers, our just gentle listeners. Yes. Um, our chaser chat finally came out. Yay! Um, so finally. if you're... you're Man, we really sat on that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, you can check that out. Uh, Don and I are going to be doing a some kind of chub corner thing coming out later this month. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's an exciting time to be... A podcast listener. There's <laughs> all kinds I of podcasts. I wish I could be a podcast listener. <laughs> um, oh, Dan, dream big. Uh, well, hit that pod, pop hit, culture. Diving right in. Hit that pop culture. <laughs> oh, Lordy. See, if we sing along to it, the lag will put us out of sync with each other, and that's just oh dear, unlistenable. Yes, yes it is. Welcome to Pop Culture, everybody. I'm tipping my little Cupid top hat <laughs> and sharing, <laughs> sharing the news with the world. We got a good pop culture segment we today. We do, yes. all about fashion. Yeah, Ugh. to go with your your Valentine's fashion. What are you wearing tonight? Who are you wearing tonight? <laughs> mm-hmm. Find out later. <laughs> Sash, diaper, top hat. Tell us. Write us. <laughs> uh, so Fashion Magazine has a fairly uh, incisive um, article about basically where are all the plus size male models? Yeah. They, they gone. <laughs> where have they all disappeared? the plus size male models gone? We've done it before. <laughs> Why would we, you want more plus size models? Yeah, we did that last year. Done. <laughs> nah. We've already done it. Check. 
Uh, what I liked about this, article- I love that the current trend is being called Fabio Core. By the way, <laughs> mm-hmm. you can it paints a picture. What I like because we've we've talked about this a little last year with the the notice of lack of plus size bodies in Fashion Week, but I like that they're kind of defining the male model separation from the you know the for uh, women models. It's been the the heroin chic, and I like that they called. Uh, for the male models, uh, Fabio chic, <laughs> Fabio core. Yeah. I, I also like that they've, they've basically highlighted the fact that for whatever you think of the body positivity name or movement, that it's been, it's been really in full force for women, but only just sort of ramping up for men. There is some body positivity yeah. representation and they gave some great shout outs, um, uh, including wombat cereal and, um, Sam Smith. Uh, so some really great stuff there, but, we didn't. We saw more of it in previous years, and so what happened is the question being asked. I think one of the things that this article made me realize is that the fashion industry is going to keep having this problem over and over and over in a thousand different ways until they stop treating the bodies of their models as yet another fashion accessory mm. that needs to be changed up every year to match whatever clothing they're making that year. You know that That's doesn't work. That's interesting. The, I, my body is something I can't change every year. So you are going to have to change your fashions to match my body. It's not going to go the other way around. No, you're right. They you do know? see it the other way around. That's 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 really cool, Dom. That's a great insight. Well, it, the, the article says it outright in that what is a fashionable body for this year? Mm-hmm. And you can't mm-hmm. do that. We need to stop doing that. Like that's women brilliant. have been going through that since the forever. But One of my favorite points in the article, which I think sort of feeds this, I, I guess, illustrates this on a very... Uh, down-to-earth sort of level um, is a, a reference they made to uh, their own magazine's October issue, uh, presumably 2022, as uh, Sean Laughrin wrote when talking about his own uh, eating disorder that he went to a doctor to have uh, anorexia treated. Uh, the doctor told him, boys don't get eating disorders, yeah. um, after which his condition worsened. He ended up in the hospital, uh, even though statistically one in three people experiencing an eating disorder in the U.S. are male. And so it just really in, illustrates that it not only is it le- there's less focus on the like the overall world of the fashion, but also the disorders associated that come along with the models and the people involved in fashion are also not allowed to be male experiences. Like the whole world is sort of very female focus. And so when you talk about getting a subset of a subset of a subset, trying to get plus size representation in male fashion, you're digging out from underneath so much. Yeah. Yeah. But just to feed into that, like the fashion industry targeting men, right there, I feel like cis male people aren't allowed to uh, say, I am feeling bad about my body. So they actually are kind of put into a defenseless position against the fashion industry as it tells men what they're supposed to look like. Amen. Because the fashion industry is creating an illustration of this is what is going to be sexy, but you're not allowed to have an opinion on it and you're not allowed to express negative feelings on being left out about it. Well, something that I've been, I've long said in my seminars is that one of the traps of toxic masculinity is this sort of self-perpetuating model that if you're a straight man, you're only allowed one emotion, anger. And so if you're not angry, you don't have any feelings. You you must not be Mm. feeling anything because you're Mm. not angry. You're okay. Mm. You're fine. You're fine. You're cool. And I think that just becomes self-perpetuating. And before you get to abusive or toxic masculine behavior, 
there is that denial of self that must be in place. That's sort of the the cauldron for it, or the crucible, maybe. In a, a but a more positive take on fashion, because that's that's more of an incisive look at the, uh, the fashions lacking. How about how about something a little more upbeat in the world? I like upbeat. Um, <laughs> yeah, and this is now this does heavily feature Lizzo, but it's not exclusive. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it was good. It was Are you Grammys. saying that we might have some sort of Lizzo fixation on this podcast? You mean Michael? the Lizzo podcast? <laughs> no. How, how no. You... <laughs> <laughs> the Grammys were this past weekend, and or I guess no, when this comes out, it would be two weekends ago. And a lot of people, uh, there's a lot going on, but a lot of people brought their their fashion pizzazz to the Grammys. Uh, start. Let's start with Lizzo because that's the jumping off point. Not um, she had three separate looks. Three separate. Distinct, I, fabulous looks. I would say four, since one of them is sort of a full reveal look. I've always wondered, like, where are these fabulous outfits coming from? And this article solves that problem. It's like, oh, Dolce mm-hmm. Gabbana. I'm like, where's my Dolce Gabbana outfit that looks like this? I would love that. Why aren't these available for, like, normal human beings, other human beings? I was really impressed with how Dolce and Gabbana was able, like, they they went all out creating all of these designs mm-hmm. uh, with Lizzo and her team. They're very um, varied. The thing that I'm loving about this is that in Lizzo, I feel like we're finally seeing the culmination of we've had a lot of larger performers over the past 20 years complaining about going to award shows and not being able to find any sort of couture Mm. and most of them having to sort of just confront a single designer and force them to make something for them. And so the dresses we're getting for Lizzo now are actually taking fashion in a different direction for larger people. Like, there's thought going into these dresses that I haven't seen going into dresses uh, that larger women have gotten to wear to the award shows before mm-hmm. um, a larger level of creativity. And I've, I'm looking forward to seeing that starting to spill over onto some of the other performers. Well, I'm, I'm wondering how much of that has to do with, Oh, you see, we've come so far in fashion and now even Dolce Gabbana is designing for large size celebrities, or is it just, she's fucking Lizzo. Anybody well, would be at her feet trying to design for her and she can carry off pretty much anything they put on her. Let me point out that, you know, as we're praising Dolce & Gabbana for clothing Lizzo on this one, Dolce & Gabbana are also the pictures we were just talking about in the last article <laughs> we discussed. Yeah, there is that. Uh, the Fabio <laughs> core, where they're talking about absolutely no fat representation with men on their runway. So, yeah. That is true. I think we're hitting a- Well, uh, then I think you made my point a, for me. A strange point. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Lizzo, but you know, and, and if it, I guess the the time, the test of time is that whether or not they stick with it, right? Yeah. Do they choose just to dress Lizzo because she's so big this year? Mm-hmm. Um, figuratively speaking, she's just, she won album of the year, which by the way, can we just say uh, the last woman of color to win album of the year was um, Whitney Houston. And so this is like a big, big deal. And of course, Dolce and Gabbana are not going to pass that up knowing that Liz is kind of on this trajectory. Exactly. I mean, can mm. you imagine, can you imagine it would be world news if it, if, if there was a headline that says so-and-so fashion designers you know, says it doesn't want to des- design a dress for Lizzo. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't even have to give a reason. It's just that anybody, yeah. you turn down Lizzo, you're going to be in the newspaper. And at least that's something for like some kind of progress, I guess, that Brands can finally be called out for that. Mm. It's something. I mean, yeah. we've been here before, and each time it's been a step forward. Cameron Manheim, back in the day, mm. uh, got nominated for something and could not find a dress. Yeah, mm-hmm. she couldn't get like, arrested. Literally could not find a dress. Yeah. Um, and then when uh, when Leslie Jones had to go to a award show, we actually had um, 
Chris Siriano is Christian, that his name? Christian Siriano, who I feel Christian like Siriano stepped up. He's stepped up multiple times. I think he also yeah. uh, Chrissy Metz. He got something for her. I think that I'm most plus size uh, actresses who have needed something. Uh, Christian Siriano has come through for them. Exactly, but mm-hmm. yeah, and he got good publicity for it. Right. And so now I feel like, which was another step forward. I love that it is the best contradiction to the charge that, well, like, I wouldn't want to design clothes for fat people because I wouldn't want to be known for that. I mean, how horrible. And yet, like, here he is making a name for himself. We know his name because he does. Mm-hmm. Well, we see again, it's it's that whole fat by association. Absolutely. Thing, you know, <laughs> um, I think there were some other uh, looks that are good to spotlight, With including uh, so Sam Smith and their like harem of <laughs> uh, Sam Smith and Kim Petras won um, best duo pop performance for. Oh, God, I had it. It's the song that I knew. Unholy. For, yes. Unholy that I knew from TikTok. <laughs> the TikTok song. <laughs> so they had this, it was this like group outfit that once again kind of is like prom, but I think more like uh, 90s uh, early aughts prom of this red top hat and sunglasses and this like once again big kind of drapey cape that was removed for their performance. That had the right wing up in arms, which is worth it just on that level. Yes. Well, yeah, because they embraced the whole like unholy element (laughs) of the song and did the whole song in red lighting and their hat was a top hat with horns sticking out of it. (laughs) So it's very sort of evocative of the devil, the classic devil imagery, which of course, you know, means that they're trying to destroy our kids and teach them witchcraft. Yes. Well, I think we want to keep the uh, inspiring, fat, sexy vibes going right into Fat Watch. Scooty. Hear me. 2023. Take us into the sky <laughs> and away. <laughs> Michael saw an Instagram comment that was particularly upsetting. So we Michael need. Michael got traumatized yeah. mid podcast recording. Yeah. yeah. Not ideal. Uh, we need more vibes than ever. And thankfully. And what better vibes could we get than going into the world of burlesque? Yes. Big, thick oh, yes. energy. Uh, yeah. That's what we need right now. Big, <laughs> thick energy. <laughs> yes. Out of Australia, the party taking body positivity beyond big tits, small waist, fat ass. Mm. <laughs> um, I love this so much. This was a wonderful thing. Uh, Demon Derriere, uh, <laughs> who is the uh, founder of Big Thick Energy. I mean, to be honest, if your parents name you Demon Derriere, you're only <laughs> going to have job options of burlesque performer or roller derby queen. Those are the only two things you're allowed. Which is why we've picked that for our bulldog. That's his name. <laughs> I just, for some reason, imagined Sam Smith and Kim Petras as the parents of Demon Derriere, like in their Grammy <laughs> outfit, sitting in this like 1950s living room. <laughs> like this girl coming down the stairs in like a very modest outfit. Like, you're not going out of the house like that, Demon Derriere. <laughs> <laughs> you get back to that pole and change. <laughs> <laughs> so and i love that in this whole article because it's very much about derriere and her her festival that she founded uh they keep they refer to her as derriere every single yes because of course that's her last name i guess <laughs> last name or stage name um but no the the big thick energy is a festival uh, it's not just the burlesque i think the burlesque was sort of the founding 
uh, like theme of the festival, but it's about, and it's, it's body positivity, it's fat forward, but it's also inclusivity. It's, you know, bringing in other peoples of different intersections. Um, and you have artists and you have local communities and workshops and companies all sort of banding together. Maybe next time um, a podcast report recording, who knows? <laughs> mm. Are we traveling to Australia? No, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> there are flying spiders in Australia. I and, think, and I think that Trevor was, has a deathly fear of being pecked to death by an emu. Or perhaps <laughs> yes. See Instagram for photos. Um, but the article just really highlights demons journey both as a person who was initially you know struggling with all of the same relatable issues that that people struggle with uh with her own body and then found burlesque as a way to in as a way into self-acceptance and then expression and being able to find that sort of sexual acceptance and then and bring it into her own um artistry and then realizing that this could be a journey for many people and creating a space for, for people to have that moment and not just for fat people. Obviously that's the primary need is, is, is for her to like create that space, but also for people who have their own body image issues and disorders um, that she specifically said, some people reach out and they say, I'm not fat, but this seems like a place that I could belong. Is it okay if I come? And she's like, mm-hmm. yes, of course. That really like, caught my eye. Do. That really caught my eye because there's so much in the fat lib space about who's who's allowed in the fat lib space and who's allowed to complain yeah. about their body and who's allowed to say what about their body or own body. And I thought that was really empowering that like, look, if you're having a problem with your body, come play with us. Mm-hmm. Like, like ain't no deal. She specifically says, I don't necessarily agree with all of her advice. Cause she's like, surround yourself with, with people who are fat positive and cut out the people who aren't, which maybe is easier said than done. But she does say, fatten up your social media, fatten up yes. your group. <laughs> yes. And I, I like that way of thinking. <laughs> the phraseology is impeccable. I, I kind of like the idea of reclaiming the word fat like that. Like fat used to be a really good word, you know, fat in the calf, you know, living, you know. Hot, fat of the uh, land. Just, never mind. Yeah. yeah. That's where the flavor is, people. <laughs> well, it's just funny. The common theme of all of everything that's touched on burlesque that we have ever looked at always comes back to this helped me find confidence in my body. You know, if all of these things, mm-hmm. even I think we did something once on uh, uh, people who uh, pose nude for art modeling mm. and stuff who like found positivity in mm-hmm. that, you know, like hmm, I, Maybe I should go out and find myself a burlesque class. That could be an interesting experience. It's self-expression. Yeah. I think be, be, finding self-expression, whatever that means for you, is vitally important to living life fully. And you know, it doesn't have to look like burlesque, but whatever it is for you, I think a lot of people live in a world that tells them to not exist or to be as small as possible. Mm-hmm. And that just inherently sounds like you cannot be self-expressed. And if you find a way to do that, to be that, like she has, um, you the liberation and the feeling that comes with it. And she's now taking that and making a space for other people. And it just keeps building. I think what I love about the intersection of burlesque and body positivity is, as you say, Michael, it's this it's the space to express yourself. It's a space, a space to liberate yourself. But that's because fundamentally, it's the space of you stop giving a fuck. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It it necessitates that. Yeah. You really gotta go, yeah. what you know what? I don't just I don't fucking care anymore. I'm gonna do what I like. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna do what feels good. Uh to the point of, you know, modeling for art classes, 
we so I think I've talked about this before. We have a giant nude portrait of me that lives in our bedroom um, because mm-hmm. uh, we had a friend from the community who was <laughs> doing uh, his art final and was like, oh, will you pose for, you know, we're doing portraits. Uh, I'm doing a nude portrait, blah, blah, blah. And initially I was like, oh my God, we can put it in the living room and it'll be this great conversation piece. <laughs> <laughs> and then, I, so I initially saw, um, he made it sound like the final was nude portraits and it was just portraits. So like he sent me a picture of this huge nude portrait of me sprawled out on the bed in uh, the, the glass cases with the others. And it was all just like normal, like clothed people sitting in chairs. <laughs> <laughs> and then when I actually had the physical uh, painting. I'm like, this is a very large painting of me naked. <laughs> when, um, when he when he initially proposed putting it in the living room, I'm like, are you sure, honey? <laughs> and now with, with the irony is that like he's afraid to take some people in the bedroom because they well, can't I, see it. I allow people to opt out because it's like I don't want it to be a a nude jump scare. <laughs> <laughs> um having that experience and getting to like I don't know. I wake up every morning to a nude painting of myself and it is just a very <laughs> liberating thing. And actually we had that that has to raise some self-esteem. It does. And also <laughs> we had um a house guest. We had when Dan and I were on the cruise, we had um some friends kind of house sitting. And I am I was there's a point I was like, oh man, they're gonna wake up to uh nude me every morning kind of i it, i'm look I, with how the painting <laughs> is how it's painted and where it is i'm kind of like looking down on the bed <laughs> very <laughs> ominously judging what kind um, of sex they might be having <laughs> <laughs> just to wrap up the fat watch one of the things i wanted to sort of call out to the the, the to the chaser listeners on the podcast um Hello, they, the guardian Yes, mentioned some of the artists that um, Demon Derriere works with, and they link their Instagram channels. And one of them is a person named Wombat Serial. May I just say, I have um, been following Wombat Serial since before anybody was following Wombat Serial. The man is amazing, absolutely amazing. Get on that. <laughs> then is the the Wombat Serial uh, hipster. Yeah, the chasers. You will you will want to click through. Oh uh, yeah. If for no other reason than that. <laughs> I just really appreciate Demon Derriere making sure to include men and specifically going into the gay community because there's issues, mm-hmm. y'all. We got we got a lot to work to, and thankfully Derriere is <laughs> is doing the work. Saved by the Derriere. Yes. <laughs> well, so listeners might at this point be wondering, uh, wait, I thought this was Valentine's Day. This isn't this isn't our Valentine's Day episode. This isn't how it was last year or the year, <laughs> or the before. year before. Not my Valentine's Day. <laughs> um, and we kind of, you know, last week we talked about like, oh, yeah, send us your questions because we kind of dropped the ball on that. And we had this kind of very stressful call, you know, pre-podcast call of like, oh, shit, like what do we? It's Valentine's Day. We don't, we didn't, we dropped the ball with questions. Yeah. What are we going to do for the listeners? It's How are we going to literally do four little boxes with people running around with their hands in the air screaming yeah. <laughs> the zoom boxes. Yeah. 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 And then Don had this brilliant idea of like, why don't we talk about that? And the pressure of course, is that our normal Valentine's Day format is that we answer listener questions about relationships and that's the whole mm-hmm. episode. And oftentimes it's enough for two episodes. We waited too long and we're trying to figure out how to sort of salvage that. And it, it brought up this idea that, 
uh, Valentine's Day in a lot of cases represents a certain amount of pressure uh, for people to sort of rise up to some standard or to perform in some way to put together the perfect date to read their their partner's minds mm-hmm. and figure out exactly how to construct this thing that may ultimately feel perhaps a little forced or inauthentic or at the very least stressful. Yeah. Um, and we kind of wanted to tackle that as a subject rather than, you know, ourselves falling victim to the same thing. You know, if your Valentine's plans are are feeling a little, a little stressful to put together, maybe this will help you. And you're not alone. Uh, there is a statistic online that says 64% of, of men do not prepare for Valentine's Day. Um, <laughs> if you think about it, just about every movie about Valentine's Day, every television show that covers Valentine's Day, the focus is on the stress of preparing for it or the trauma of it going horrifically mm. wrong. Like very rarely is there a Valentine's Day thing that's just purely <laughs> happiness and Sun and candles up your butt until you get to the end, you know? Ouch. Uh, oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> I think also uh, there's... Somebody's into it. Um, there is the whole thing of, like... I, I think in, like, media, the other side of that is, like, you know, the, well, you didn't get a Valentine. Everyone got a Valentine. Oh, God. But yep. you. and Which I think is... It can be very traumatic. That is... I'm not to, like, dismissing that, but I think it is also... The impact of that, I think, has been amplified by portrayals of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like, I don't know. I think there's a lot of people, I think probably even a lot, like a lot of listeners who don't have a Valentine, who don't have plans. And there's like, there's not anything wrong with that. That's, but you do told you. that there is. Yeah. I think the other, the, the thing that the other side of this coin, the dark and seamy side of this coin that people don't mention is <laughs> it's not just that like, oh my God, it's Valentine's Day. What can I do that's amazing? There's also the side of like, oh God, it's Valentine's Day. What can I do that I can accomplish and won't be lame? Like mm-hmm. a box of candy? Mm-hmm. Oh, thanks. Did you find it yourself? Did you go down to the CVS and get that <laughs> Stouffer's <laughs> Russell box yourself? <laughs> Like there's the, the, you know, as as some of us who are more focused on not failing than achieving, there's there's definitely the pressure of like, what do I have to do to not get slimed this holiday? I have a sense of it, which I'm sure is, is fairly obvious, but also maybe worth pointing out, which is that whenever you try to do something that is not authentic, that is Mm -hmm. not actually an expression of what you care about, um, it will feel awkward. It will feel forced, even if it's just a little bit and sometimes all the way up to full-blown social anxiety cringiness. Like if you if you know that you have to do something for Valentine's Day, you're not doing it because you desire to do it. You're yep. doing it because you have to. Here, honey, enjoy my obligation. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Like, and it it is obligatory. And you know, that's not to say that the gesture doesn't mean anything that that also I want to point out, if you do follow through with something that feels obligatory because you care, it's because you care. And don't forget about that either. Yeah. We're not saying that that's a bad thing to do at all. Um, the expression is the point and it's detaching yourself from the idea that you have to do it or that your partner's going to be mad at you or disappointed if you don't do a thing their way um, and, and figuring out 
if you want to do anything at all, if that's if that's what's fun, if that's what your self expression looks like. Yeah. See, but and Michael, if not, um, yeah. but see, Michael, you're not married to Trevor. <laughs> let me let me let, let me elaborate. <laughs> so I think as we've established through many podcasts, Trevor is a genius at gift giving, like a fucking genius. That's true. And I am his evil genius. Yes. Yeah, you almost yes. And I am his opposite in that regard. <laughs> Um, <laughs> and so I always feel, and he, and he, you know, Trevor, you are wonderful about like, you never, ever are like, oh, that you got me that no, he's, mm -hmm. he, he is amazing. He is absolutely amazing. It, the pressure is strictly on my end. Like I'm trying to measure up to that. And like you say, it's like, for me, that's just not authentic. And it's just, it's not what I do. And I think, I think Trevor, you, you, you have blessed me with knowing that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I mean, there was a thing that, you know, and it came, but I just have to, in my own self-defense, I, what I, what I think I do very well is that I'm, I'm pretty darn, you know, responsive the other 364 days of the year. Yes. Um, no, I, and I think it's, so like, this isn't Valentine's day, but like for Christmas, very often what I would do with my friends would be like, my gift to you is you don't have to get me a gift. And it would just be, or like, mm -hmm. or they would do that to me. Like, you know, my gift to you is like, you don't have to get me a gift. And it's just kind of relieving that pressure. And I, I think get so Valentine's, excited and giddy when he says that. <laughs> Valentine's Day is so weird because it is this super commercialized holiday. I think it's so weird because, you know, I've talked about in the past, like the whole Valentine's Day stuffed animals that I know, like a lot of people would love to get them, but I think it's so hard to really have authenticity with Valentine's Day because there is just so much commercialization of like everything is Valentine's Day and it is hauled out for this one day. But it really like there's only like two weeks that I feel like people really engage in it. Yeah. I have a I have an idea and I think this would be a nice thing and it's very simple and it's very easy. Um, if you have uh, somebody you're dating, a partner, a boyfriend, husband, um, et cetera, and maybe you have your sort of your routine, like like for, for me and Michael, and this is probably like most people, it's like, you know, after a day of whatever working, having dinner together, I'll usually cook or we'll order something. We'll watch an episode or two of like 30 Rock or Modern Family and then watch like a movie or a TV show, like a more like a like we're doing Last of Us right now. But that's like our routine and it's very comforting to me and it's fun and it's easy and it's like something to look forward to each day. Um, and that that's, that's sort of antithetical to the like, you know, spontaneous big gesture of Valentine's Day, right? That's let's mm -hmm. Valentine's Day is supposed to be this big new other thing. But I think it can be something as simple as expressing how much you love doing that to the person, mm -hmm. like saying, like he, like I like taking the opportunity to say Valentine's Day is about expressing love, and I want to tell you how much I love having this routine with you. And it, so it doesn't, you don't have to do a thing. You can just ex appreciate and take a moment to express that this is what we do, and this is what I love about it. I love that. What Michael is talking about here is what I think Valentine's Day is, what what we think of a Valentine's Day is really about is trying to say, I love you or I appreciate you to someone in their love language. Right? Yes. The way that they say I love you is the way that you should try to say it to them on Valentine's Day because that's the clearest way they can hear it. 
right? You're saying it in their language. And one of the big dangers with Valentine's Day is that you have 1,010 corporations trying to tell you that you need to say I love you in their love language. Yes. By giving your partner <laughs> these candies, these flowers, taking them to this restaurant uh, because that restaurant knows the love language that you should be speaking. No, Michael is getting to the key of it. And these Trevor is holding <laughs> up his love language. <laughs> yes. Yep. No, I'm saying that, you beans. know, the starburst heart shaped jelly beans. Uh, I just got a one during this call. I got a push alert from Lyft uh, saying, say, I love you. By taking a road trip with your partner this Valentine's Day. Oh, God. Use On Lyft? Lyft rentals. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's Lyft's love language. Yeah. <laughs> Can I just say, I, I am I am a fierce detractor of the Valentine's Day dinner, like going out to oh, dinner God. for Valentine's. I ha- oh, yeah. The worst Move dinners I've ever the worst di- The worst dinners I've ever had in my life have been on Valentine's Day. Not because of the company, just because- the servers don't want to be there. The restaurant is only open because they're going to make a killing. They've simplified the menu. I, I've been sat in a corner. I've been I've been rushed oh, through the courses. It's awful. The, both those things were when the one year we went out for Valentine's Day, mm-hmm. we were at the <laughs> – it was so dark. We were in a corner table by the kitchen, Ooh, and funny. it was the menu was like all – like half of it was seafood, so I couldn't eat it. And it was just rushed and just, it was horrible. It was the worst meal I've ever had out. Yeah. It, it wasn't and, a meal you'd ever want to have, let alone on Valentine's Day. And also yeah. it's like, part of it is, you know, everyone wants to be the center of attention because it it's our Valentine's Day. Well said. Why aren't we getting better service? It's <laughs> mm-hmm. like, because it's everyone's Valentine's Day, <laughs> including your waiter who's trying to get home to, you know, give their boyfriend the heart-shaped teddy bear that's sitting <laughs> suffocating in the backseat of the car. And the, and the chocolate that's been melting in their trunk all day. Yeah. Oh, they spent Ooh, hours. It's CVS, cho- it's CVS chocolate. It doesn't They melt. spent hours at Build-A-Bear. <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorite Valentine's bits from media is Shock and Surprise from 30 Rock, yeah. where it's, it's a Valentine's episode, and Pete, who's sort of the put-upon... Uh, you know, family man, father is like, what? It's Valentine's day again. And Liz is like, Oh, you forgot to do something for your wife, Paula, didn't you? And he's like, yeah, it's also her birthday. (laughs) 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 Uh, So don't do that. People (laughs) that might be a little too far. Yeah. Try and try and take the stress out of it. If your partner's love language is that Whitman's, sampler heart-shaped box of chocolates <laughs> you you go get that or even just th- like th- I thanks don't know. honey i'm right re- i'm writing that down now i'm, that down now. <laughs> I'm working my way up to the whitman sampler so far i'm only worthy of the hershey's <laughs> oh don you are worthy of so much more than hershey's yeah yay <laughs> you're at least a toblerone <laughs> damn let's not get crazy <laughs> um so yeah, so take take that to heart on Valentine's Day. Hopefully you hear this t- in time. If not, uh, yeah, just let it take some pressure off you. Um, to call back to, uh, I believe it was last week's episode or maybe two weeks ago, I don't remember, time is a flat circle, when I mentioned uh, the gap between the bidet and the uh, the toilet seat, we had a listener write in uh, yes. with, a, with a very special mailbag tip. tip. So I'm going to attempt to... Um, 
Glistener writes in very short and sweet and to the point. Uh, anytime I share the link to a bidet attachment, I recommend toilet seat bumpers. Um, I also recommend the Merrill Hut Mock, a good indoor outdoor slipper, which was something I had talked about that Michael was looking for better slippers with arch support. But the toilet seat bumper um, is exactly what it sounds like. It's just a little sort of squishy pad that you attach to the toilet seat or to the toilet underneath the toilet seat so that basically it, it cushions when the toilet seat presses down as you sit on it um really simple straightforward it's like eight bucks uh, can i ask set. i was unclear as to the purpose is it to have a seat with a shock absorber or does it serve some sort of spacing need so what, what i'm referring to is like the bidet adds a gap between the toilet itself and the toilet seat like it, it raises the the toilet seat up whether it's a half inch or a full inch, depending on the size of the bidet. So that, that oh. creates this gap where when you sit on the toilet, it sort of bends down. It's sloping down. Underneath okay. your weight. Right. It literally, and depending on how much that gap is, you might even break the toilet seat or it might just be uncomfortable. And so this bumper fills that gap with a little bit of pad and squish and basically alleviates that strain on oh, the toilet okay. seat. When I see. This isn't a problem with our bidet because it's like a quarter of an inch, but I get it now. No. I think I know what Michael's getting for Valentine's Day. <laughs> <laughs> toilet bumper, toilet bumper, toilet bumper. I hope I like it's heart-shaped. A, a, yeah, heart-shaped box of uh, toilet bidet bumper cushions. <laughs> that should be the <laughs> new oh, tongue you twister. shouldn't have. <laughs> I did check out the Merrill uh, Hut Mock slippers, um, which look a little bit more like shoes, but I can see how they're sort of between shoes and slippers. Um they look pretty cool. The sizes go up to, I think, a 15, a US 15. However, they have a category for width, but the only width available was medium. And I suspect for a lot of listeners that may not be wide enough. I don't know if at some point or another they had wider. No, they, uh, there are some you know, styles that have a, a, a large for the width, but mostly you're right. They're mediums. And, and for Trevor, you just have to tr strap two together yeah <laughs> um but you know if it if it if it works for you um it comes recommended by a listener if you end up getting one uh let us know how it goes i'm curious they do look uh very supportive anyway so thank you to that listener for writing in we always appreciate mm -hmm. it and uh don take us into Bitland. well we have touched on uh all of those boxed chocolates that we get at christmas time shaped like little hearts with the frilly things on the outside but those it could be argued might not be the most iconic type of Valentine's Day candy. Oh, oh I what know. What is the Valentine's... I already know what? the answer to this. Conversation okay, Hearts. Okay, what's the... Conversation Hearts, that is correct. Oh. So Conversation <laughs> Hearts, also known as Sweethearts in the United States or Love Hearts in England, are those sweet, chalky little treats that you uh, usually got them in elementary school. That's what I associate them with. Little messages yeah. on them like, love you, miss you, hug me, be all mine. that sort of stuff be mine. Um, but these are some long-standing treats. They've been around for a while. So here's some questions today dealing with the sweetheart candy. Oh my. So legend has it that sweethearts have a very special connection to war. That's actually where they were first sort of conceived. Um, <laughs> what is this popular rumor? One, they were invented in ancient Rome, supposedly sent as a gift to a group of soldiers to celebrate their victory over Gaul. Uh, <laughs> a Russian that. spy supposedly sent a cake with written messages concealed inside it to Napoleon on Valentine's Day that eventually led to Napoleon's defeat at Waterloo. 
In the United States during the Civil War, loved ones would send letters to soldiers with loose Necco wafers inside uh, because they were hard, durable, and flat, so they could sit and fit inside an envelope. Uh, these wafers would sometimes pick up ink from the letter, resulting in characters being copied onto the candy. Or four, in World War I, the candies were used to deliver secret messages between spies. Hmm. I'm going to go with number four. I, like I, I just like best. it. You want yeah, I like the secret with, messages. Spies with secret messages. <laughs> I was laughing earlier because I was like, <laughs> you're talking about it. It's like, oh, somebody sent one of these chalky candies to, you know, a tyrannical dictator and he ate it and hated it so much that he started a war with that Because <laughs> <laughs> they're disgusting. Well, and everybody it knows so that Napoleon invented the Napoleon, so it can't be that. That's exactly true. Yes. Huh. Which are delicious. Okay, so are you both going for World War One? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Trevor. I'm I'm torn between Civil War and World War One. Mm-hmm. Have you had a Necco wafer? Because I have. Yeah. Yeah. I have. That's why <laughs> And they probably caused the Civil War. Who knows? Yeah. I'm gonna I guess go with for with World War One, we got three answers for World War One. I like, yeah. I, I think, I, but I like. The I'm reconsidering. Idea. I'm reconsidering just because I know how far back these little <laughs> shits go, and they. I think they are Victorian, so oh, civil. Wow. War, so civil war would be would be a very plausible wrong answer because I, I have a feeling the story is apocryphal in any case. But uh, <laughs> so, are you changing? Yes, yeah, so I'm going to go for civil war. Okay, well, Trevor, you should have stuck with civil war because, oh. in fact, it was the civil war. Yeah. Um, Necco oh, wafers wow. were kind of a new invention around that time, and uh, people they were they were fine. They you could send them in the mail, so they were a popular treat for soldiers at the time. Dan is right; the story is most likely apocryphal, but it is a story that's been floating around for a bunch of years. So, mm. the first sweethearts weren't actually shaped like hearts at all. What did they look like? Kidneys, Necco wafers. <laughs> One <laughs> ribbons, two oh. scallop shells, three. Uh. Gems or four cherries, scallop shells. Yeah, I scallops. Think. I'm going with scallops. Hmm. I am so confused because they're sweethearts. So why would they not be shaped like hearts? <laughs> I'm thinking Birth of Venus. Here. Um, I'm gonna be. Mm. I'm gonna be different and say gems. Okay. The correct answer is in fact scallop shells. Yeah. Uh, the famous love notes actually took their debut as messages printed on colored paper and tucked into cockles oh or candies shaped like scallop oh. shells. And there is nothing less uh, candy tasting than a cockle, can I just say. <laughs> oh, boy. The brother of uh, the, the founder of the New England Confectionery Company, or Necco, uh, Daniel Chase, was the one who discovered how to print the messages directly on the candy in 1847. Wow, that's – Wow. Yep. That's right. That's candy so, technology for you. <laughs> sweethearts can also be tiny little time capsules. The messages are cycled in and out over many years. So occasionally old timey sayings are cycled back in, dusted off and put back into circulation. Which of the following, however, has never been a sweetheart? Mm. One, lamb chop. <clears throat> Two, dig me. Three, hepcat. Or four, fax me. Hepcat? Hepcat. I'm going with Hepcat because it was probably trademarked. I don't know what that is. What's Hepcat? Mm. Uh, it, meaning a, a a person in the know about popular culture. Someone who, a hip cat. Hep is the oh. older version of hip. I'm trying to remember. I feel like I've I seen, I was going to say fax me, but I feel like I remember seeing that at some point. I think that's real. I'm telling I'll you, go with, What was the first one? Lamb chop. Mm. I'll go with lamb chop. Okay. I'm going to say dig me. Dig me. Okay. 
We've got one for Lamb Chop, one for Digme, and Dan, bring us on home. What is your answer? Hepcat. 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 All right. The correct answer is, in fact, Lamb Chop. Darn. Ha-ha. I got uh, one. The other three have all appeared on uh, the candies at some point or another. Yeah, Lamb Chop is too, I don't know. I know that's that could be like a, a cute saying, but it feels too much like meat. Meat on yeah. candy is bad. <laughs> <laughs> All right, a special bonus question. Uh, we've talked about the boxes of candies today, those lovely little heart-shaped boxes. Um, who invented the first f- f- heart-shaped box of chocolates? One, the Hershey Company. Two, Mars Incorporated. Three, the Cadbury Corporation. Or four, Ferrero Rocher. Hmm. Hmm. Cadbury. Uh, I'm going to go with Hershey's. I'm also going to go with Cadbury. All right. Cadbury is, in fact, the correct answer. Oh. I was just so hey. surprised to find out the heart ba- heart box shaped of chocolate was a mass produced first. Like I figured it would be like some small chocolate shop somewhere did it, or hmm. well, that still well, may be true. Yeah, that's, yeah, it's yeah. possible. It's just yeah, <laughs> I mean, um, I am not in the habit of turning down chocolate from anyone. So, if our listeners did want to send us <laughs> some chocolate, Trevor, where could they do that? Well, we're on Instagram and Twitter as at Big Fat Gay Pod. We're on Facebook as the Big Fat Gay Podcast. Five stars there. They, we got a nice review. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. we had an Thank awesome review. I want to read that on the next episode. Yeah. That was such a good review. Uh, support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Big Fat Gay Pod. See the articles we talked about at www.bigfatgaypod.com. Well, maybe you're... You're finishing up your sweethearts. You've just been mm. shoving them in, <laughs> shoveling them in the whole episode, crunching them, chalky mm. bits and all. But there's one, you're shaking the box and there's one left and you, you shake it out and it's the, the message side down. So you flip it over and it says, watch out, baby. <laughs> <laughs>